Hello and welcome to Faith, Fitness, and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout peak night meals. As always, I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia and Raw Grip Chalk, for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. And if you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. You can head over to their Instagram pages to get some products. Today, I'm sitting down with Rob Zala, head coach of Croqueta Strength, whose phrase, stop playing with an empty bar, has been a firm reminder that you have never fully arrived. You're not going to want to miss this episode as we talk croquetas, lifting mentality, and more. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Rob, what's going on? Nothing much. How's it going, Moses? Hey, we are doing all right. I'm so glad uh, we were able to make this thing happen. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad as well. I mean, you definitely, uh, well, you slid into DMs, actually, and, you know. I did. (laughs) (laughs) We started talking about it, and I was definitely interested, man. Yeah, I, I, I chuckle because, you know, with all these people, as I, as I reach out, I'm realizing I'm having to slide into the DMs of male and female athletes alike. And I'm like, well, this is the establishment of my relationship with people. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it's definitely kind of, uh, it could be kind of interesting, you know, sliding in the DM with the approach and stuff like that. So, yes, yes. And I, I always have to say, hey, my intentions are pure. I promise my <laughs> intentions. For a podcast. <laughs> well, well, hey. So uh, obviously, you have, um, you know, I've known you for a little while. Kind of followed, you know, your your coaching. I know you've got a pretty decent sized team. So I wonder if those listening, you know, what is Croquet the Strength? Who are you? How did you get involved with it all? Okay, so just some background of who we are. Um, collectively, our motto is just make people better. Um, so that could be from any aspect of just, you know, we offer powerlifting programming, we offer strongman programming, uh, we offer weightlifting as well, Olympic weightlifting. Um, so basically just helping out in any which way we can in the strength sports. And also we provide, you know, that mental aspect as well to get you ready for, you know, preparation for competition, or if you're just having day-to-day troubles, dealing with things like everybody does. Um, it is available to you as well. Yeah. So, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, the mental side of things. You know, I know a lot of coaching platforms, it's, hey, this is your programming. This is your weekly deal. Enjoy, get stronger, whatever. But I know you specifically put a lot of emphasis on the mentality and the mental health side of things. Correct. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's collectively, I think, you know, mental awareness is uh, super important. And I think a lot of people, definitely do deal with things, you know, internally, but don't really express them uh, since it's very, you know, stigmatic, I guess, in society. Um, But, you know, we all have things that we deal with. So I think offering that would definitely help. And it does help with preparation towards competition. Some people get nervous, some people get, you know, anxiety, you know, they got to cut weight, they got to hit a certain amount of a total or something like that. They're competing against somebody else. It could take a, you know, it could definitely take a, an effect towards your physical aspect as well, preparing for the competition. So I think that's something that definitely needs to be looked at uh, across from all strain sports a little bit more. I mean, it started in the 70s with the Russians starting the, you know, sports psychology programs. 
mm-hmm. and we just kind of just pushed it to the side and never really looked at it. Well, yeah, as you, you know, obviously I think you're, you're working with, what is it like 60 athletes right now? Yeah. 61 total. 61 athletes. So, you know, as you look at a broad spectrum, cause I know there's a lot of coaches who, you know, almost like refuse to work with more than a certain amount. Um, and I'm sure 61 athletes, are you the only coach or are there other coaches alongside you? No, we have other coaches. So we have our weightlifting coach. His name is Simba. Um, and we have our strongman coach, uh, who his name is Rob as well. Uh, we call him Grump, Grumpy. Uh, he's this big bearded guy. He looks super mean, but he's the nicest person you'll ever meet, you know? Yeah. And so go for it. Well, yeah, so you so you've got three three coaches there. Yes, sir. You've got strongman. I'm assuming you're you're the powerlifting side of things. Yep. Uh, and then you've got Simba doing Olympic weightlifting. So it's 61 athletes. E- even there, it's it's a big group. So how do you uh, balance that? And how do you guys still find the intentionality with each athlete despite the larger size of the team? Well, it used to be I used to program just on Sundays. Now programming has taken my Fridays, my Saturdays, my Sundays. Wow. Uh, so I just collectively like pick apart a little bit, little by little, you know, it's a big number of people, but, you know, pick apart. And we really do take the time and emphasis of like, you know, looking at videos and critiquing and really seeing what, you know, that athlete specifically needs um, and making sure we reach out to the athlete, uh, you know, trying to be as personal as possible as we can be um, and really create that relationship with the athlete, which is the most important part. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like how you mentioned that because it's true. I think you get these coaches sometimes who are just so impersonal. They're, they're not pursuing actual relationship with their athletes. It's really, it's a, hey, give me your money and I'll give you programming. Yeah. And then we're done. That's it. That's the extent of our relationship. Anybody, so, anybody could really just program once a week and just give you an RPE8. That's a programmer. That's not a coach. Coach is going to somebody, somebody who's going to take the time and emphasis on really making you a better person and helping you. And I think that's a big, most people who get into the game are, are, think they're coaches, but most of them are programmers in a sense. Yeah. Oh, and that's so huge because there is a difference. There's such a big difference. Uh, I remember the first guy who, uh, quote unquote, coached me, who programmed for me, (laughs) um, sent me a, uh, almost like a a notes on an iPhone. Yeah. He pretty much said, hey, do X, Y, Z for the next eight weeks and you're going to be great. And that was it. That was the whole thing. And I was like, oh, sick. Like, what a great coach. I didn't know any difference. So I was like, I guess this is just what it is. Uh, and then as I've, like, gone on, I was like, dude, that didn't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, you start noticing. You're like, what am I paying for? This is terrible. Right. I was like, so there is just such a such a vast difference. Of course. Um, and you have to break so, it down. Like, there's no, man, running the same template for, like, eight weeks straight. Like, that's not specific towards you. You know, it has to be changed, constant change by – mesocycle or even microcycle if you really want to depending on how you know the person really adjusts to the exercise but exercise selection is one of the most important things and like you know volume and intensity as well but just giving a simple template for eight weeks like yeah you're gonna make some gains if you're a beginner but if you're an intermediate almost elite lifter you need to really dive in and find out what really works for you yeah yeah that there is there's that personalization that has to happen yeah uh, you know, there's a guy I knew uh, back at Liberty who uh, jumped onto Larry Wheels, $20, <laughs> whatever, program. Yeah. 
Uh, and I love this guy to death. I actually, now I coach him and he's like, man, like, this is so weird. Like I'm actually like getting stronger. I was like, yeah, it's crazy what happens. when like, you're not on a cookie cutter $20 program that thousands of people are using. <laughs> what is it? Lincoln bio 1999. Yes. Yeah. That sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. Click the link in bio for a, a 52 week program <laughs> for just 20. You're like, well, <laughs> there's no deviation. Not sure if we're going to get injured or not. <laughs> Uh, so as, as I've worked with him more and I've kind of like shared with him, like, Hey man, like there's actually issues within your form that a coach has to point out to you. And he's like, Oh wow, this is crazy. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, there's a whole other side to the fitness. Industry. Oh yeah. Um, well, so how did you, uh, what, I guess, obviously Crocata strength has kind of been your, your child that you oh, kind of yeah. raised up. How did you get started with that? What was the goal behind it for you and how did it get started? So realistically, when it started, it, I used, well, I, I still work at a uh, gym right now. And uh, basically, I saw all these people that, you know, were trying to be like cardio bunnies, I guess, for females or, you know, you know, bodybuilder lifestyle, and they weren't seeing the results they really wanted. And, you know, they were depressed, obviously. So I think going mm-hmm. up to them and kind of telling them like, hey, like, you don't have to, you know sacrifice eating spinach and tilapia all day you could definitely Mm -hmm. be you know you could definitely enjoy the foods you want and still be able to put on some muscle um have you ever tried powerlifting or strength training and you know that blew their minds and then you know people like it because it's a it's very challenging you know to put a bar on your back and then try to pr consistently and try to you know perfect the form it's very challenging for, for people and they loved it yeah, and it just kind of just kind of grew from yeah, there. Yeah, kind of grew. Uh, I think that I think that says something. You know that everyone starts, you know, with that first client. Everyone starts with that first person, and and if you're doing a good job, it's going to grow. Yeah. And if you're not, that's just going to. It was funny because I think like it was all word of mouth, but I literally had like maybe thirty, thirty-five people in the gym that just started coming to me for programming, like. Yeah. And it was just, it was funny. Everybody was in the squat racks. Nobody was in the Stairmaster anymore. And they were seeing results. And it was like, ta-da. I think, yeah, I think one of the greatest things is watching people realize that uh, their Gymshark workouts <laughs> Yeah. And they should be doing stuff that's actually benefiting them. <laughs> the glute-resistant band workouts on IG don't really do much. <laughs> right. Yeah, your band is kickbacks. You know, that you do for 45 minutes. <laughs> but there's actually work you can do outside Correct. of that. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, at Liberty, there's so many different variations of people that, yeah, you'll see the guys who are, uh, you know, a part of Liberty powerlifting and are, are getting on the stuff that I'm writing for them. But then, yeah, you have the, the bodybuilder group as well that in the same way are just doing their, uh, their, their dumbbell chest flies for 15 sets of 12, yep. uh, and they're seated shoulder press and that's it. They're going to do the same thing. And they're going to say, man, look at my upper body. And they got nothing in the lower <laughs> body at all. They don't do the squat. They, they, they see a barbell. They run the other way. It's so funny when I see people post like leg press PRs and stuff. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's mind-blowing, man. Well, and, you know, thanks to our, our favorite PhD man, uh, Joel C. Oh. We know that we just don't even have to squat past 90 degrees. Do not get me started. Do not. <laughs> I my favorite things is the senior story you're commenting this like start like this affirmation yeah every time being like thanks 
when you as people he had these huge he's got like 100 followers yeah like and he's verified someone d and you see who are just like on him he was a coach he's done that for people well kind of reframing it it's hard because it's it's all about like do not to do it's just mine's you know even with my background like in education like it's i mean it's my education in kinesiology like it always came back to strength like strength was the philosophy and you could really you know deteriorate a lot i mean like you could literally deteriorate a lot by doing these i guess functional body movements like everybody does like these animalistic style workouts and everybody's always trying to reinvent the wheel but yet we can't complete a simple bicep curl with perfect execution and it's kind of frustrating yeah yeah and i think the the more that social media develops the more that these types of people pop up because you get i think these i don't know there's these false platforms where people assume that since they've garnered a following their voice deserves to be heard and that's so frustrating when you do have these legitimate coaches out there because it delegitimizes the industry it does you know and listen we have been studying movement for what 2500 years realistically Mm -hmm. we haven't changed but the movement around us has changed but what people were doing in the 60s 70s like it still works to the day you don't have to stand on a bosu ball on one leg and juggle you know, dumbbells in your hands. Like, that's not beneficial. Right. Right. If anything, it, it, it pushes you more to injury. Correct. Because it's just absurd movements. It's, it's really absurd, and it becomes skill. It doesn't become, you know, an actual movement that's going to be beneficial for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I know, and I remember, uh, you know, Evan Rutledge really going off mm-hmm. on Seedman. I remember when that 90-degree article came out, you know, all people squat the same. And I'm not going to lie, I was committed enough that I was like, I'm going to read this entire thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have the time in my hands. I will read it. <laughs> and I commented and said, hey, man, I read your article. I'm actually more confused than before I started reading the article because you cite yourself the entire time. I was like, you can't cite your own research to back up. Like, that's not how that works. We and that's, that's the most frustrating part where it's you, you can't cite yourself. Like, where are you getting this from? You know, and it's frustrating. <laughs> oh, man. And yeah, it's the same people, you know, that I'll even see, you know, and just athletes who it's the same people that say, oh, I know my own body. It's the exact same people. And you're like, no, like, clearly you don't know your own yeah. body because you've been benching 135 pounds for the last seven years. Yeah. And people and try to, you know, it's it's funny because people believe like they're their own special snowflake in a way. Mm-hmm. That everybody's different from everybody else, and it's like, yeah, not quite. We're yeah. all the same. Well, because I think people even like they'll say, "Oh, yeah, well, this person's sumo looks different than mine, so I'm individual." And I'm like, "Yes, your body is shaped differently than yeah. someone else, but progressive overload doesn't suddenly stop working for you because you've decided that your white claw addiction is more important <laughs> than your training." <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't it doesn't negate the fact that training is training right training is training training <laughs> is training so um as you created crocata strength now that's obviously 
uh, a very unique name. Why croquetas? All right. So growing up, I had this obsession with croquetas all my life. Like that was my obsession. And I would go and probably down like eight or nine of them, which is an (laughs) exaggerating amount. Um, And then I just started being called croqueta. So when it all came down to it, I was like, man, like, what should I do it? And I wanted to make something kind of Miami-ish, I guess, Mm -hmm. in a way. Um, So why not croquetas? Yeah. Wow. I love it. Because I remember when I first heard it, I was like, wow, that's such a, like, random name. <laughs> yeah. But, then, yeah, as I kind of read into it, I was like, man, like, this man loves his croquet fest. Like, yeah. He just does. And um, it works It works well here in South Florida because a lot of people just love croquetas. So they just buy the shirt because it says croquetas on it, not knowing that it's an actual team. <laughs> hey, you're getting the money either way. And it's like, hey, cool, man. I'll take it. That's free advertising right there. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, as your team currently sits at 61 people, uh, what, where do you go from here? What is the, what are your long-term aspirations as you look ahead as a coach, as an athlete, where are you wanting to move forward? So the next step for us is obviously to, to grab a location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking now at a couple options to see what we could do. I have a couple of friends that have inquired and asked me for business partnership as well. But we're looking to have a headquarters. That would be the next step for us because all of my athletes are asking, like, hey, like, when are we going to have a place? When are we going to have a place? And it's like, shortly, shortly, shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the next step for us as far as growing. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, we have a couple ideas that we bounce off and trying to see what we could do. And realistically, the goal number for us is I wanted 100. That From the get-go, I wanted 100. Okay. You got to aim high, right? Yeah, oh, you have to. Because, I mean, if you're not aiming high, then what happens when you hit your long-term goal? Then there's oh, nothing yeah. left. Nothing. Um, and so so with that, you know, that idea of you've never fully arrived. So, okay, so this phrase of uh, the empty bar, uh, as you're saying, you know, it's something that just the team really picked up. Uh, and at different meets, you'd even say to people as they go for PRs, the bar is empty. Yeah, so the bar is empty, uh kind of use i i say it all the time especially when people are going for the higher numbers um i kind of tell them hey look you know that's an empty bar uh and it kind of motivates them and it tells them basically to stop thinking um i think a lot of times as lifters when we get to the 90 percent, 95 percent, even 100 percent, we tend to overthink and you know you have six seven hundred pounds on the bar and you're thinking like this is a repetitive motor pattern that you've done a thousand times just go out there and do it. Yeah. So it definitely yeah, I, does help. Oh, I can imagine. You know, I've had a, a couple of guys who almost have the polar opposite mentality, which has never worked for me. Where they're, <laughs> uh, they're, they're saying, hey, no, this thing's heavy as hell. Uh, but I got punched first in this fight, but I'm not going to be the one that stays down. There and so that's, that's their mentality. But, yeah, for me, I'm like, no, I, I want that bar to feel light on my back. Because if that bar feels light, I know I'm going to smoke it. Correct. And, and, and that's where that mentality comes in of yeah you have you've just you've trained it you know and you've continuously done this movement thousands thousands of times it's another five pounds what's another five pounds going to be? correct and once you've done it you know repetitively at that motion a thousand times you kind of know what your cues need to be mm-hmm. um to the point where it's just motor pattern right it's a ritual it happens and then you go ahead and you do it but there is a fine line there is a balance between somebody who just goes gun hole and you know, dive bombs the squat and somebody who 
overthinks things. So kind of finding that balance in between lifters is very important. Yeah. So you mentioned your facility uh, or your facility where your team is based down uh, in Miami. That's where you're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I know there's another big gym facility down in Miami, hybrid performance method. Yep. And I know that historically, you know, you've had a bit of a relationship with them, um, but not necessarily anymore. Uh, and so what some people may remember uh, is from a hybrid showdown you just competed in just, I guess it was supposed to be a month, a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, I was actually supposed to be competing at that meet as well. Um, I was training for it. I was prepping for it. I was like fired up because I was like, man, I'm going to go to Miami. I've never been to Miami before. All these like big lifters are going to be here. I was getting hyped for it. And then, of course, I'm a college student, so I couldn't afford to go down. So crap didn't happen, which sucked because I was getting punked, uh, especially seeing Jamal Brown or pull that absolute monster. I think I think watching the biggest human being I've ever seen in my entire life was Kevin Oak. And I yeah. saw him weigh in and I was just like, who's this guy? Like, this guy's jacked. And I saw him get into like a like for like a Prius or something, some sort of like hybrid car. <laughs> <laughs> and I could literally just see the car like rock side to side. And I was like, geez, like I can't even imagine, like, I don't fit in a Prius. I can't even imagine being like, hey, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to just get a small car. I may be 308 pounds, like six, five, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It was just hilarious watching the car just shake side to side as he put one leg in, not even putting the other one. I'm like, oh, it's like a bunch of clowns trying to get out of the yeah. car and they pack like 20 into them. Uh, well, so at that meet, you know, I know uh, we had a little bit of a mishap. You were on one of your squat attempts. Uh, and it looked like the bar kind of slipped off your back. I wonder if you could chat a little bit about what happened. Yeah, so definitely. Um, so it was basically just an accident. You know, I went and I uh, popped the bar off my back. Uh, didn't have really tightness on my back. And it was a really, really low bar for me and kind of just mm-hmm. broke my wrist and it fell off. Um, and then obviously it became a social media meme. Right. And, you know, I got a lot of backlash from it you know for about a good three four days i didn't really check my phone because i had a probably about 50 70 dms that i didn't want to answer yeah well so how how do you handle a situation like that you know because obviously you're not the anomaly you know there's so frequently you know we're in this I, i i call it cancel culture that we're in this environment in which everyone is looking for a reason to hate someone. Like everyone is always looking for a reason to attack someone. Oh yeah. And, and I think the fitness community can feed into that because it is, it can have this elitist mindset sometimes of saying, Hey, if you're not doing everything perfectly, if you're not hundred percent on the top, we're going to find a reason to cut you down. And so when you face a situation like that, we're obviously, yeah, you don't, you don't mean for a bar to come off your back, but you want to finish the damn rep, yeah. you know? So, so for you to then have to face that kind of backlash, how do you how do you deal with that? And how did you recover from that? Other than really saying, "Look, it doesn't matter." I think it it did bother me a little bit mentally, and I didn't go a couple days to work to be honest, because I was just sure I didn't want to check my phone. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, any everybody's going to say everything, and that's true. Like especially with coming to like social media and the fitness industry, we're very cruel people when it comes down to it when we need to be. Um, but, you know, getting blasted on social media from people I don't know, doesn't do anything to me, you know? Yeah. If you were a close friend, Moses, you know, like, you know, you're my best friend and you told me I suck, then yeah, I might be a little butthurt, but 
from somebody who I really don't know, it really, I mean, it doesn't mean anything to me. And the fact that you took time out of your day to, to say whatever you had to say, like I had people tell me like, I should go kill myself in my DMs. Like I was like, mm. okay, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty rough. But if you're a 40 year old man, you took time out of your day to say that, then what are you really doing with your life? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's good. I mean, obviously it's, it's hard to hear, but I mean, it's true that, you know, you, you do have to reframe it and just think, man, like what is going on in someone's life that the highlight of their day and the thing that they're going to be able to tell their family they did that day was they went to a random person. They don't know's DMS and verbally attacked yeah. them. That's I'm, that's what it is it blows my mind like like i just i don't i've never understood it Uh, and you know i don't understand where people get off doing that because it is it's a daily occurrence you see it on uh instagram you see it really on twitter the cesspool of absolute humanity you know you see it on tiktok you know it's it's so prevalent and and i think it's even interesting now you know in the last couple weeks obviously we've all been on lockdown and quarantine here um, that no, everyone has all this time on their hands that they're like, mm, what else would I do? I'm just going to roast people online. And I'm like, you're providing nothing. And that's why know? I made a, if you look at my Instagram, I made a post about just how sad I was with the community and how it made me realize that I'm doing the right thing as far as the mental health aspect, because I mean, that's pretty rough. You have to be going through something to tell somebody like, hey, go off yourself, you know, like you have to be a very messed up individual inside to kind of just go out and say something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it made a lot of sense. Well, so, you know, as you put that emphasis, we had a little bit kind of on the front end of the episode, but as you, you know, particularly put that emphasis, you call yourself a mental health advocate um, that. I know for myself with my lifting has really helped with my anxiety uh, that I'm definitely someone that can, I, I operate at this high octane level all the time. And so it's easy for my anxiety to flare up if I'm doing a lot. And so with lifting, it's an opportunity for me to channel that nervous energy into something productive. So for you, what has really been the importance you know, that you've seen within the athletes you've worked with, with the community around you, with your coaches of really highlighting the mental benefits of lifting beyond just the physicality of, Oh, I'm stronger. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of my athletes for some reason that come to me. uh, (laughs) Well, obvious reasons have some sort of mental illness that I later find out about, or, you know, they're just going through stuff. You know, I've had people that have had, you know, addictions to things and stuff like that. And I've seen people who have left their halfway house who have told me, Hey, you inspired me to get sober. So I've left my halfway house and I'm going back to school for exercise science because I want to be a coach. And I'm just like, wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, I've chatted kind of the last few episodes with people about this theme of leaving a legacy. Uh, I mean, really that's, that's what we're in the sport to do, you know, is to continue to impact the next generation of people and carrying on the knowledge that we have. And I think that's just such a, a revered thing to have that we really have to carry wisely. You're only as good as, um, I mean, a lot of people say you're only as good as like your best athlete or whatever it may be, but realistically, you're only as good as the coaches you produce. And yeah. being an athlete doesn't mean anything, but when they're ready to take that next step and start coaching other people, 
I want them to know that, you know, the same way I was there for them, they need to be there for their next athlete. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's good. Well, so moving on from the direct coaching, the athletic side of things. So we know that uh, a lot of training also has to do with what we do in the kitchen. Correct. So nutrition is so, so huge. And it's also the most slept on element of any training ever. You've got power lifters who somehow, usually SHWs uh, <laughs> or, or even ours, because I'm, I'm 125 kilo. What, what, where does nutrition play into it? You know, because you have the guys who can pull off eating 10,000 calories of junk food a day and compete at a high level. And then the guys who choose to go vegan, like our, <laughs> our strongest vegan, Evan Pardone. Um, what, what's the balance there? What, what have you found to be the most effective? Well, for me, I follow a strict regimen. I just started now with uh, Renaissance periodization. Um, and I offer it to all my athletes, to be honest, to kind of stay strict because with, yes, if you're a super heavyweight and you have high numbers, you could kind of get away with being big. Right. But I right. think kind of just that, well, not now per se, but maybe a couple of years ago that west side style mentality of just you know hey let's eat mcdonald's and cheeseburgers and get fat and lift right. a bunch of weight i mean if you look at half of those people now half of those people have some sort of you know health condition or whatever it may be and that's not exactly what you want right so finding that balance in between who could do what and i've had lifters i had a lifter who was a keto lifter and i don't know how he did it i mean that sounded extremely brutal but he did it right and, and I think it's interesting because, yeah, we, we run into that that uh, special snowflake conversation of uh, people saying, oh, yeah, like, I know my body it's different. But at the end of the day, you got to consume Correct. protein and you got to be consuming carbs. You got like the building blocks are still there, but different people are just receiving from different areas. And I think <laughs> I, I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. So I'm very much the person I could go lift and then go, man, you know, I could go spend a lot of money on healthy food. Or I could go drive to McDonald's, get like seven McDoubles and spend less there than 10 bucks. Um, but that's not, it's not, it really isn't. And <laughs> you have to find a balance, you know, you have to find a balance with feeling comfortable because some people get, you know, overwhelmed with diets and so much change. And then they have a tendency to bulge and, you know, and go crazy and start eating and, you know, they gain all their weight back plus a little bit more. So finding that balance in between, you know, being somewhat healthy and reaching your goals and, the way you look is important too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Because you, you do have that, that sect of lifters that are like, Hey, you know what? I look morbidly obese, but I'm very yeah. strong. But I'm like, when I get to the level, like to the elite level, I want to be able to be on the street and people say, man, that guy. Yes. Yeah. I don't want to be on the street. And they say, man, that guy looks like he's about to walk on. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, Hey, no, but like I squat 900. And they're like, yeah, cool, man. <laughs> what is it? It's uh, you want to show people you're strong, not tell people you're strong. Exactly. That it, it, it should go without saying that someone says, man, that, that guy's definitely a lifter. Um, because there are, there are some, as much as I love them, I have some good friends that just do not look great. But I know they're strong just because I know them. And that's just not something that I feel like is very productive. No, it is not. Um, well, so I, I think there's a, a big disconnect in the fitness community, uh, especially with this, uh, this social media 
don't even know if bullying's the right word, but of this combative nature of people on social media that I think some lifters can get into petty fights with each other on a regular basis about lifting. And the, the number one engagement I think of is Evan Cardone and Garrett fear that for like an eight month period of time, these two completely different lifters are just railing at each other about everything. And for the, fitness community we can understand a little bit of what's going on but for the outside community i feel like i can paint a picture that isn't necessarily healthy for you know the average person already thinks that we're just egotistical lifters so where do you think the role is for lifters themselves in painting a picture for the larger community of this really being an up-and-coming sport as opposed to this just kind of elitist group of lifters well that's what needs to change is our mindset towards outsiders coming in and everybody else around us, you know, that elitist mindset, like how, you know, we were talking about it yesterday about elitist mindsets, you know, it, it doesn't, people coming in are not going to be attracted by or attracted by that. So if you come in here and you just, yeah. you know, start telling somebody they suck because they can't squat 400 pounds, like, you know, it's, you can't do that. You're going to discourage the person and that person may be a great lifter down the road. Or, you know, that person may be just lifting because they wanted to lose some weight or whatever, but you can't discourage people. And I think that becomes a problem, uh, especially with our community. Um, we have become an elitist mindset, especially with social media, how we were talking about social media has definitely destroyed kind of the mentality of the lifter. It's always about posting PRs and getting likes and, you know, having an argument with this person about that. And it's, it's destroying what the sport is about. And I tell people all the time, and I think it's, it's hilarious because Olympic weightlifters, if you look at them, they take four years to step on the platform, their stage. They take that time. But yet every powerlifter wants to PR every 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I had a, a conversation with a, a mutual contact of ours, a certain tattooed uh-huh. lifter um, who... I remember I was prepping for uh, collegiate nationals. And as I was looking to compete um, down at the show down in February, I was running into an issue with it being a national level meet of me saying, man, like, am I even able to compete in another federation? Um, because WRPF isn't <laughs> known for being a very US. It's the wild, wild West, man. Right. Uh, and the, the direct quote was, to be honest, I don't think you're on their radar of people to wow. watch. And I was like, really, man? Like, I kind of like brushed off. I was like, oh, yeah, like, haha. But I'm like, dude, like, I'm 22 years old. I'm prepping for a national level meet. And I'm like, that's what you have to say as an elite lifter. And that just really bothered me. And I think that did really set that tone, kind of that conversation we had yesterday of it just kind of being like, man, like, there's something that just got to change. Something does have to change. And, you know, it, it maybe it's the older lifters or whatever, but this new generation of lifters is definitely listening to them. Like, it, it has to change. You have to kind of just accept all and don't discourage anybody for what they're doing. I mean, if he had to say something, you know what I'm saying? So he had to say something about you. So therefore there was some sort of envy, hate, jealousy, whatever it may be towards you. And, and, And it's interesting because, you know, and we know even beyond that person, everyone's (laughs) got our backgrounds, you know, and, and, different people have backgrounds that are, are really powerful stories if they were used the right way that I think of, you know, someone like, uh, 
Chrissy uh, May Cagney, now Chrissy Harlequin. Like, she is a recovering drug addict, recovering alcoholic, who then founded Donuts and Deadlifts. And, you know, these wonderful reps for recovery, these different companies of using a story really to allow to expand outreach. But then you've got these other people who have this opportunity to love on and support a larger community and choose instead to create an elitist group and just leave it there. Yeah. And I mean, that's where it becomes the borderline underlying issue, right? The elitist group. There's no such thing. I mean, nobody like I really hate the fact that some people kind of just walk around um, like they cure cancer. And it's like, dude, all you're doing is lifting a barbell on your back. It's nothing special. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And and the reality that a lot of people don't even know powerlifting exists. Yeah. I'm like, you're lifting a barbell (laughs) on your back for the appreciation of a group of a few thousand people. Like That's it. That's like (laughs) people don't care. Like the people outside the sport don't care. Like my mom went to my first powerlifting meet. And I pulled like 600 or something and I was all excited. And she was like, why don't you pull it more than once? And, <laughs> and I was just like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> what? That's so brutal. <laughs> and it's, oh my word. it's just, they don't understand. So, I mean, yeah, you're big in your own sport, but outside to the rest of the world, you're a nobody. And you have to remember that at the end of the day, you're still a nobody. The bar is always empty. So at the end of the day, you're, Nobody really knows who you are. Yeah. And I think it's important to put that into perspective because in a sport that is so focused on performance, like, you know, I had that meet back in September where, you know, they, oh, well, this is a weird example, but they had like strobe lights going. Like when I'm lifting. I saw that. I thought that was pretty cool. Like, yeah, which definitely doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, But Sabre in USAPL Virginia loves his performances. So it's easy in a moment like that. I'm like, man, my favorite song is playing right now. (laughs) Everybody's watching. There's strobe lights like this. There's smoke. I was like, this is wild. But in that moment, it's easy to become consumed. You'd be like, oh, man, yeah, dude, this is it. Like, I have arrived. Like, this is is my sport. But I'm like, no, I could show that to literally anyone else. They'd be like, why do you have strobe lights when you're... (laughs) deadlifting like what's wrong with you why are you wearing all that gear like why is there you know belt knee sleeves yeah yeah they're like well i remember you know and i i see a lot on on tiktok because you know obviously being the college student that's bored as i am (laughs) i had to have one that i remember i you know put up training or whatever and there was that video uh of me you probably saw it back in december when uh i was in that crossfit gym Mm -hmm. and the bar bounced out of the rack yeah and the bar just went everywhere and on tiktok it went viral (laughs) i got like two hundred thousand views on it and so i'm getting all these dudes just like flaming me that they're like man like you needed all that equipment and you still messed it up and i'm like that's not how equipment works (laughs) but it was like the reality check for me and i'm like no one cares about this sport like this isn't a thing like we're not in the olympics this isn't basketball i'm not lebron james like i'm just a dude who can kind of lift a decent amount of weight yeah and that's what that's what we all are at the end of the day you know at the end of the day are you considered stronger than your peers yeah but at the end of the day nobody really cares how much weight you could put on your back (laughs) exactly now unless you know obviously there's the exceptions everyone knows who thor bjornson is everyone knows who eddie hall but like that's a different yeah (laughs) that's that's so different yeah I was like, people know it exists because even strongman looks more impressive because it is. Yes. Uh, I was like, all that we have to do is stand up, sit down, stand up again, 
put something on our chest, take it off, and then pick something up. That's the it. laziest That's the sport. sport. <laughs> the laziest what? sport in the world. I was like, this is, there's a reason why people like Jeff Lewis, who's 550 pounds, is able to excel in the sport. You think he'd be doing well and strong? Probably not. <laughs> was he an incredible lifter? Yes, but he weighed 550 pounds. It's a big. And so that's a big dude. It's, it's it's a bit. That's a big boy. And I'm like, I think I'm big at 275. Like, I mean, 550. We're oh man. Um, well, so as you look, you know, even beyond uh, your coaching platform itself, what is it that really motivates you? to continue managing all of this? Because obviously as it, as it gets bigger, as your platform gets bigger, uh, it's going to become more time consuming. So what I guess is your why for what you're doing in the industry? I mean, at the end of the day, it goes back to that quote is make people better. And I think there was a time point when I got up to like 40 lifters where I just got, you know, especially working 40 hours a week, I got, frustrated you know just extremely frustrated but now kind of seeing i guess the growth in in people seeing people that you know stopped addiction you know changing their life around i've had people who you know wouldn't even talk to each other and now they're best friends and you know it i think watching that community just being built definitely drives and still motivates me today to keep pushing on yeah. And yeah. Go ahead. It's a very cliche answer, but it's the only answer I have. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's a good one because it's yeah. true for you. Uh, and I think that's, that's what matters uh, is sometimes, you know, I always feel bad, even like, you know, obviously me being a pretty, pretty vocal Christian, I say the same thing to people that I'm like, man, like I know all of my advice that I'm going to give you as it pertains to religion is going to be cliche, but I'm like, but like at the end of the day, like cliches are cliches for a reason. It's the same with the fitness industry. I'm like, it's a cliche because it's effective. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you're in the sport to better other people, you're in the sport for the right. There people. you go. At the end of the day, money uh, doesn't really mean much, right? It comes and goes. Exactly. It does. It really does. Despite <clears throat> right now, everyone being very concerned about where the money oh, yeah. is going. Uh, considering that we're all just sitting inside online shopping oh. because we can't actually go shopping. I think it's it's <laughs> funny to see like uh, just you know people's kind of morale kind of change during this time. Like now, the people that were so against like the you know guinea programs or whatever it may be are now selling out and doing what they first hated. And it's kind of funny because it's obviously money motivates them. But it's just hilarious. I've seen so many people sell out during this time, and it's funny. Yeah, and because I think this time, so obviously horrific, the pandemic right now, it's it's wake up to things that they weren't realizing. Yeah, best nature that natural to be selfish, free capacity is from that. Maybe I am kind of selfish. Yeah. And that's the one thing you, you must learn, I, especially in the sport being a coach, I've learned. And it has taught me to be selfless and, you know, become more empathetic with people, um, which I wasn't in the beginning. But as time grew, I've learned to be this way. And if you really, truly care about your athletes, your coach will be that way. Yeah. And I, and I think that's such a good point, you know, even kind of bringing it full circle to what we chatted about at the beginning. 
that you have to be intentional with your athletes. You have to be intentional with the people around you because otherwise you're just so quickly going to be forgotten. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, so kind of as we wrap this up, uh, you know, I ask everybody this uh, and I never, never want to impose anything on anyone, but I wonder for you, as you've uh, obviously put emphasis on uh, mental health, uh, putting emphasis on caring for those around you, what, if any, has your own personal faith walk played into your mission to help other people? Kind of, to be honest, that that selfish piece. I mean, I'm not a very religious person, but I'm somewhat yeah. spiritual in a sense where I could kind of understand growth, right? At the end of the day, it's growth. So, I mean, yeah. however it works for people, as long as you're growing, that's the most important thing. And as long as you're reaching out and helping other people to get them on the level you're on, that's the most important piece. Yeah. No, and I think that's so good. And, I, and I've said that to everyone because I, I say there's so many people who are obsessed with religion that are awful people. Correct. Um, because they've allowed this legalism mindset of following the rules and it somehow created that same elitist thing that we were chatting about earlier. Correct. Uh, instead of ultimately just saying, hey, look, what matters is that we're being kind to those around us and treating others well. There you go. And that's yeah. the most important thing at the end of the day. So good. Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to really thank you. I feel like we've, we've had a real productive conversation and getting to hear your, your heart for uh, the fitness industry and for your athletes, you know, is encouraging, you know, uh, and because obviously you're in it for the right reasons. Uh, and, and I'm just grateful to, to get to hear that, at least over voice. I know we've talked plenty, but by getting to chat with you, especially about it in person. Yes, sir. Definitely. Same. It's been an honor. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Uh, this has been a conversation with Rob Zela, head coach of Croqueta Strength. Uh, his goal of slowly moving forward to get a bigger team uh, moving on to a full uh, facility gym. Uh, you can access apparel, programs, uh, and more at croquetastrength.com, uh, or you can access him right there on Instagram at Croqueta Strength. Uh, I'm sure he would love to chat with you about getting you stronger even in the midst of a crisis in which more than likely you're just watching Netflix and eating popcorn, <laughs> there's definitely something that you can be doing. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. Thank you for listening.